from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, how are you? Welcome to the program. Hope you'll stay with us for the duration. We're here for a good time, not a long time. Uh, I, I'm getting uh, tons and tons of email. You know, I it's hard for me sometimes to keep track of when the conspiracy show on television is airing uh, on on Vision TV here across Canada because it's it's in repeats. We're sort of in hiatus. Season three coming soon. There'll be an announcement. But meanwhile, the first I guess it's 31 episodes are sort of in constant rotation on 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 Vision Television. So check your local listings. But I always know when it's playing because then I start getting tons of emails. Uh, of people uh, wanting to, uh, to to weigh in on various topics. Uh, here's one on uh, reincarnation from Valerie. I don't believe in reincarnation because I believe in the Holy Bible. We live only once under the sun. I believe that people who are unsure of God's existence or who haven't read the Bible are the people who would grasp onto the idea of reincarnation besides Jesus taught being born again of the Holy Spirit, not reincarnation. So there's Valerie. Thank you for that. Uh, and uh, then I had uh, someone with a... Fa- I, I don't know if I... I can't read this one on the air because uh, he, he goes so far as to name names and institutions here in Toronto, but it has something to do with MK MKUltra uh, and uh, electronic mind control, something that we've discussed uh, on a recent episode as well of the TV show. Thank you for that. And, and finally, I got an email just the other day, uh, a gentleman who said, um, you've got too much hair. You look like you're wearing a toupee. I can't take you seriously. Get a haircut. <laughs> so I'm taking that under advisement. Thank you for that. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the program. And uh, a very special hello and welcome to the folks down at KWTOAM 560 in Springfield, Missouri, our newest affiliate and member of the Conspiracy Show family. So to everyone listening... Uh, in the coming weeks and months on KWTOAM 516 Springfield. Salute, as they used to say on Hee Haw. Uh, and, uh, it's so good to have you aboard. Thank you. All right. We, uh, in fact, I think my next guest is, um, I, I'm going to find out where he's from. I think he's from Asheville, North Carolina, which is, uh, of course, one of our affiliates down there on WZGM or WZGM AM 1350. But we'll find out in a few moments uh, when he joins us uh, to talk about. This is a rather interesting take on the whole UFO phenomenon. And as my good friend Victor Vigiani says, who's listening down in Florida on a little golfing uh, holiday. When we finally find out, you know, when when the big day comes, disclosure or if it ever comes, when we truly find out what's behind this UFO phenomena, it probably will be nothing, uh, you know, what we believe. Uh, and my next guest probably concurs with that. In fact, as I say, he has a rather interesting uh, take on that, and we're about to delve into that right now. The possibilities are endless, and they're already here, he says. He is the author of The UFO Singularity. How near is the singularity? Why are past unexplained phenomena changing our future? And where will transcending the bounds of current thinking lead? Micah Hanks was held or has held a long fascination with the more unique scientific mysteries this world has to offer. He's a self-proclaimed but not self-righteous skeptic. He works as a writer and researcher as well as a radio personality whose work addresses a variety of unexplained phenomena. Over the last decade, his research has taken him into the studies of the more esoteric realms of the strange and unusual, as well as cultural phenomena. Human history and the prospects of our technological future as a species, as influenced by scientists 
and uh, by science rather, we are um, about to get into a conversation about whether or not UFOs may in fact be terrestrial in origin, possibly originating from our own technological advancement at some point in the future. After the singularity has been reached, let's find out what the singularity is all about. Mika Hanks, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Well, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me tonight. Good to have you aboard. And uh, now, uh, I think I read somewhere that you that you hail from Asheville, North Carolina. Is that true? That is correct. Yeah, I am uh, from Asheville, the sweet sunny south down here. It's a great place to be. And, of course, you know, I, I know you have uh, one of your affiliate stations located in this area, as you had correctly said. So, uh, yeah, the folks down here, I don't know how many of them are going to uh, be familiar with Micah Hanks and his work, uh, you know, but I, I actually did work in radio a bit here in this market just as well. So some of them may know, and for those who don't, well, it will be an all-new adventure, right? <laughs> oh, well, you've got the pipes for radio. You've got a great voice. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> so, so Micah, yeah, we, uh, folks can listen in uh, down there at uh, WZGMAM 1350. That's in the Asheville area. So what is a singularity? What does that mean exactly, Micah? Well, it's a great question and a great place to start tonight, I suppose. When I talk about singularity, there, there are a lot of different things that that can kind of entail. Uh, there's this, what we call a singularity archetype, okay, where this is this, this notion that humans are undergoing fundamental change and that maybe at some time in our not too distant future we'll undergo some kind of a, a, a very meaningful, uh, you know, significant kind of transformation and that it will, you know, really fundamentally change who and what humans are and what our civilization actually may come to be. Uh, when it comes to the UFO singularity, I am evoking a term that's been utilized by modern transhumanists and futurologists and the like, uh, and it does come to mean essentially technological singularity, the creation of artificial intelligence or perhaps supplementing natural levels of human intelligence with advanced intelligence or technologies of the future that allow us to reach new levels of our technological growth that we can't even conceive of right now. That essentially is what technological singularity is, and I would argue that when we look at UFO phenomena. Uh, it appears to be, in most cases, an intelligently controlled phenomenon, uh, often something that is also, uh, you know, some variety of sheet machinery or kind of a, you know, advanced, uh, you know, aeronautics that we don't know to exist and be available to humankind at present, but nonetheless something that doesn't seem so far ahead of us that we can't conceptualize aspects of the phenomenon. Uh, we're not quite there, but we're getting close, and so if it is already a technology in our midst that is a little greater than what human levels of intelligence have attained that we know of here on Earth, uh, again, I wonder how soon we might not attain those kinds of technological uh, abilities and the prowess that we see the UFOs employing already in our own future. That, in a nutshell, is the UFO singularity. Okay, so it's, it's uh, when our level of technology... I guess sort of reaches the same level of technology as, you know, is currently being utilized by who's ever flying these craft around. Is that, is that part of the idea? That's part of the idea, yes. Because, I mean, one would, one could make the argument that, that, that has happened already. We have people like Ben Rich, who was the former, uh, a chief of Skunk Works, uh, who, who said that we now have, this is going back, you know, 30, 40 years ago, said that we have the technology to fly ET home. This was supposedly said on his deathbed, and it's a rather enigmatic uh, statement, but one could surmise that he meant that we have the capability of interstellar travel. That's going back, again, 30, 40 years. He also said that we have things in the desert, meaning, you know, locked up in, in, in hangars, that are 50 years beyond your wildest comprehension. So, uh, maybe we've already achieved the singularity. Is that possible? 
Yeah, and that's something that I get into in the book. You know, there are a lot of different ways that this might be attained. I've I've speculated about everything from the potential for extraterrestrial visitation, which, I mean, really, there's a lot of evidence out there that kind of points us in that direction, but the burden of proof for the scientific community, uh, you know, it tends to be a little difficult for them to, to, to look at what many proclaim to be evidence of extraterrestrial intervention here on Earth already and say conclusively, yes, we can say that extraterrestrials have visited Earth. Uh, a lot of the time there seems to be this covert element to it. And yes, of course, there is this non-disclosure element just as well. These sorts of things are kept secret and they're whistleblowers and people come out and claim to have had clandestine sources or have been in that situation themselves working in you know upper echelons of government or secret organizations from which they're able to draw their own experiences, but it's very difficult to validate those kinds of things because of the necessary secrecy associated with them. So every now and then we do get this sort of information that points to the potential for extraterrestrial intervention or such things as reverse engineering. And then there are also those potentials that may exist where we have just incredible technologies that are working behind the scenes of human or earthly origin. And then, of course, there's also that, uh, and it's a little bit more difficult to pin down, perhaps more so even than an extraterrestrial intelligence, but that potential that there could be technologies from the future that might be able to work backwards in the sense that we could perceive something emanating from our technological future, time travel in essence, and that that also could constitute some of the UFO mystery. Uh, Richard, i got to throw this thing out there real quick. You know, I got an email the other day from a, an organization called the National Atomic Testing Museum. They are apparently uh, in uh, association with the Smithsonian Institute, and uh, I get emails from these folks all the time. I, <laughs> frankly, I don't know how I got added to their email list. But, you know, they're often talking about different things, you know, like, uh, you know, Oak Ridge Laboratories and stuff like that, the Manhattan Project. Lo and behold, I get this email the other day, and the, uh, the, the, the letterhead here reads, Area 51, reverse engineering at Area 51 and the Red Eagles, distinguished lecture by T.D. Barnes and Colonel Gail Peck. And this is a lecture apparently going to be given in Las Vegas, Nevada, on February 9th at the National Atomic Testing Museum. So, obviously... There seems to be a historical interest in the potential for such things as reverse engineering and these sorts of things going on covertly. Very much, yes. It could be that these technologies are already here. So th it sounds like th th this is a sort of a form of, dis uh, of controlled disclosure uh, that's coming out of Area 51. Um, let me. Add, I want to. I want to definitely get on in, into a discussion about time travel. It happens to be one of my favorite topics, but uh, and and how that uh, is dealt with in the UFO singularity. Micah Hanks joining us on the line here on the Conspiracy Show. But let let me get uh, let me get uh, a take from you. What do you actually think is going on with with the UFO phenomena? Is it? I mean, do you do you have sort of a uh, a better understanding or an, a better inkling as to what it might be? Have you been able to narrow it down? Is it, are we talking about, you know, ourselves visiting the earth from, uh, from the future? Are we talking about, um, extraterrestrials? Uh, could it be from the spiritual realm? What, what do you think it might be? Well, Richard, to be honest, I think it could be a lot of those kinds of things, uh, you know, a combination of them, in other words. Uh, there are so many in this field who, who allow ego to kind of get in the way of, of, of real, logical, and what I, you know, maintain is truly skeptical thought. I'm not someone who goes into this and claims to have a preconception of either belief or disbelief and then tries to just justify my own preconceptions. I go into this kind of clean slate and hope to try and find information and evidence that can help us come to a better determination 
of what UFOs are. Uh, you know, being a romantic at heart, I've always hoped that there might be extraterrestrial entities that are interacting with Earth in some capacity. It's on some level, I do think that that's what's going on, but I also think that probably a majority of the things that constitute UFO reports are probably, uh, if not somewhat clandestine and often nascent, you know, kind of uh, innovative new varieties of, uh, of uh, you know, aerial vehicles that we have built. Uh, they very well also may just be things that are, uh, you know, we might even call them physics aberrations, uh, non-dimensional phenomenon, different kinds of things that might not necessarily have to be alien, but that nonetheless could be something that could occur here on Earth and conform to our laws of physics, whether or not they are the known conventional laws of physics. So when it comes to defining what UFOs are, I'm not someone who claims to have contacts in government. I'm not someone who's going to tell you, look, I've got all the answers. I'm going to be someone who will say, here's what we do know, here's what we don't know, and based on the information that we have, this is the most likely scenario. I would probably put it like this. 75 to 80% of most of what we see in the ufological field is probably our own. Then there's that 20% that probably have something to do with extraterrestrial, maybe we'd call it ultra-dimensional, I guess, to borrow the term that uh, John Keel used for it. Micah, let me just jump in here. Sorry, we'll get to that other 5% on the other side. Micah uh, Hanks is with us. The UFO Singularity here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Micah Hanks is with us. He's a full-time journalist, uh, radio personality, author, investigator. And uh, he's uh, written for such prestigious magazines as Fate, 14 Times, UFO Magazine, The Journal of Anomalous Sciences, and New Dawn. And has appeared on numerous TV and radio programs, including our very own The Conspiracy Show. We're talking about his new book, The UFO Singularity. First of all, let's finish off that thought. So, how best to explain the UFO phenomena? 80-85% are basically advanced secret spacecraft developed here on planet Earth. And then you said, what, another 20%? Just some misidentification or weather anomaly? Or or how would you explain that 20%? Well, well, I would recommend probably that that 15 or 20 percent would be somewhere in the neighborhood of, rather than being misidentified, natural phenomena. That, that always works into this just as well. Uh, you know, and again, this, uh, justifi- this justification is primarily working with those objects that are probably going to be intelligently controlled or something other than weather phenomena. I would, I would preface this all by saying that most often people are misidentifying different kinds of natural phenomena and things like that, known aircraft. This, this happens and there's nothing dismissive about saying such because if you're a good UFO researcher, you're going to take into account the fact that people do that. But of those that remain unidentified, again, I would say that probably around 80% are going to be uh, clandestine technologies from here on Earth, and then we've got 15 to 20% that are going to probably be something else. Some of those may constitute physics aberrations. Some of those may also constitute, dare I say, extraterrestrial uh, you know, types of craft and things like that. I'm not going to throw any babies out with the bathwater, but you know, in my uh, way of seeing things, I think that, uh, you know, rather than looking at everything that we term as being ufological in nature and trying to uh, presuppose that they are all extraterrestrial, you know, I'm going to try and look at this uh, more along the lines of what technologies we know to exist. And in my book, of course, The UFO Singularity, I also look at what technological trends we are seeing today that might lead to technologies of tomorrow that without question will help us determine what 
really lies at the bottom of this UFO mystery. So that, in essence, is the way that I tend to try and look at this. I do call that skeptical, but as you can see, I'm not ruling out those kinds of possibilities. I think that's a very skeptical approach, and it's also keeping things open-minded and open to different possibilities that many of these of the skeptical debunker ilk rule out immediately by trying to literally go into this with a presupposition that no such thing as extraterrestrial life or anything else beyond the known laws of physics might exist here in our midst already. Uh, I'm fascinated by the the idea that uh, UFOs likely terrestrial in origin, possibly originating from our own future. So walk me through that. I mean, uh, how does that work when, for example, uh, my understanding of time travel is if you were, let's say we were to construct um, a device that would allow us to travel into the future, uh, you could not, or travel back in time, uh, you could not travel back further than the date at which the time device, time, time travel device was switched on. So if we developed uh, the capability for time travel tomorrow, then someone from the future, the furthest they could travel back would be, my understanding would be, uh, let's say, you know, January 21st, 2013. Does that make sense? Uh, well, yeah, it does, uh, according to, you know, one potential model for how time travel may work. You know, there are so many different opinions about this, and this is what's very interesting, is that on a philosophical level, Richard, what we often see is that there is a, um, you know, there's this kind of a, uh, you know, I guess academics today tend not to like to speculate a whole lot. They, they they want to say that, you know, we want facts and we want scientific data that backs up these sorts of things, not just, you know, guesswork. But really, in truth, educated guesswork is truly speculation. We have to get speculative uh, quite often, especially in the realms of physics, and hence we hear all the time about speculative physics, right? And in the, the realms of speculative physics, we have tried to essentially work our minds around uh, the concept of time, which, keep in mind, Mind. And fundamentally, we have to remember this is something that is perceived by, if not entirely kind of an artifact that stems from human perception. When we try and work around such things as grandfather paradoxes and, and all these sorts of things, for instance, I travel back in time, I cause some sort of a change in the in the in the lineage of time that leads to the birth of my grandfather. He is no no longer born and no longer a part of this flow of time, and therefore I destroy myself, and there's this dis destruction of the space-time continuum. I think that that's more of kind of a Hollywood interpretation of of what we perceive as being time, and that truly. Wait a minute, are you saying that that uh, the Time travel hot tub, which was on television the other night, isn't science fact? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that in truth, a lot of people look at what they see in movies, and that greatly influences the way that we try and wrap our heads around a concept as esoteric as literal physical travel through time. I'm not so sure that dimensional uh, aspects would necessarily have to come into this, but of course, people in trying to, uh, you know, rectify the problems with such things as a grandfather paradox, they have put into the equation multiple dimensions, string theory, things like that. In my perception, uh, this, and you know, this is partially a hunch, and this is also based on philosophical and scientific discussions I've had with many in academia, a lot of whom are fascinated by UFO phenomena for the same reasons that I am, because they feel that these things may be hints at understanding the greater levels of reality around us, which were, you know, lie just outside human perception. And that is fundamentally this, that, uh, you know, time is, again, primarily an illusion. 
and that space and physicality also probably has an illusory nature. And once we realize that all space and time are primarily illusions that are filtered through the human perception, uh, those kinds of things, you know, begin to break down and those conventional models of time travel break yeah. down just as well. Fair enough. Micah Hanks is with us, the UFO singularity here on The Conspiracy Show. Again, if uh, UFOs or the, the pilots of these craft are in fact um, earthlings from our future traveling back, how does, for example, the abduction phenomena fit into that? Why would people from the future uh, being uh, abducting their own species and subjecting them to unimaginable horrors? Well, you know, I, I want to point out that uh, the, the potential that humans from the future or some technological presence from our perceptual temporal future may constitute some ufo phenomenon that's one area that i look into into the book when it comes to abduction i do talk about abduction in the in the book and i look at it more in terms of you know technologies in our midst today that might be utilizing uh, you know different systems that could uh, account for some abduction reports um now if we were to look at this from the perspective uh, you know along the lines of what you outlined with your with your question there would humans from the future come back in time and abduct humans and if so for what purpose we could speculate a lot of different kinds of things for instance what if they were you know m manipulating genetics and things like that to make the human species of the future better utilizing technology that they attain uh you know at that point but then again in terms of whether or not traveling in time would be first of all feasible second of all if altering humans of the present day our present day would affect our hu our future selves we don't know that that would in in indeed be the case so um there are a number of different speculative reasons why a time traveler from the future might come back i think that the problem is that with ufology there are so many out there who would tell you this is obviously what's going on if they're time travelers from the future they're trying to make us what they are not or to make us something that they want to be if they assume that it's an extraterrestrial equation they would say well they're coming here and they're manipulating us and they're engaged in an elaborate hybridization you know, program or something like that. I couldn't give you evidence of either of those things, but we could speculate all day about it, just as I've done with time travel, and that's only one little piece of the greater puzzle here. My gut tells me that a lot of abductions are probably not entirely physical, and that a greater number of them probably have to do with something else that emanates from right here in our midst here on Earth today. Of course, the last year we were very much focused on uh, December 21, 2012. In your book, you sort of look a, uh, 100 years hence, and uh, you talk about what human life will be like in 2112. First of all, why did you pick that date? And then let's get into a discussion about what you think life will be like in 2112 and whether or, that, whether or not that might mean that we're approaching this singularity. That's a good question. You know, uh, when we look at, again, that uh, singularity archetype, uh, and that that uh, that notion that change is inevitable and that it's going to occur and that you know any time now humans are going to become something different. You know, I thought it was interesting because people have appended that kind of uh, that kind of notion of a transformation to 2012. Uh, initially, it was thought that, of course, the Mayan calendar would end and that that might be of some significance. The doomsday theorists all thought, oh well, you know, this actually means that the end of the world is actually going to transpire, and then. There were others who said, well, no, the world isn't actually going to end. But looking at this logically, you know, there might still be something about 2012 that will become significant. And then it becomes a bit of a chicken before the egg argument. Uh, you know, well, did we make 2012 significant because we wanted it to be uh, or vice versa? Was it significant, uh, you know, uh, you know, for some other reason? Either way that you want to look at it, you know, 2012 has been kind of 
kind of considered a, a gateway year by many, uh, especially uh, those who are more spiritual. And they look at this as a transformation period. Uh, and that is very much in keeping with that singularity archetype. Now, at the beginning of the book, I look back 100 years and began this discussion by talking about the kinds of technology of the future that Thomas Edison had envisioned for the year 2011. He'd been asked, of course, in 1911 about what that technology might be like. And so this book being authored in 2012, I said, much like Edison, what if we look 100 years from now? What kind of technology might we suppose that we would have in our midst in, you know, 100 years, in a century? Will we, we, I mean, will we be the same sort of civilization, the same sort of physical beings that we know humans to be today? I would argue that although we may look very similar, we will be fundamentally different, and that will be as a result of advanced technologies that will not only change aspects of our physicality, but may enhance our natural levels of intelligence and perhaps even broaden our ability to perceive aspects of the reality that we think we know so well today. Uh, you, you, you talk about transhumanism. I mean, do you, do you see that in 2112, a great many of the inhabitants of this planet will be, to a lesser or greater degree, essentially human cyborgs? There's always that possibility. I'd always uh, argue, too, that uh, as we uh, – th- things that we have to take into consideration before I get into that really are that, you know, there are so many different kinds of technology on Earth today. And uh, those of the transhumanist ilk, you know, some of whom I was able to interview for this book, including uh, Ben Gertzel, Ph.D., he's an artificial intelligence expert, some who I wasn't able to in- uh, interview, including Werner Vinge and uh, Ray Kurzweil, best associated with technological singularity today and author of books like The Singularity is Near. Many have proposed that because of the varieties of technology ab- available to us on Earth today, many are influencing each other and helping other areas grow uh, due to the innovations in these various different fields. In other words, it's kind of a cumulative growth, and therefore the rate of growth of technology is becoming greater than exponential. It's growing so much more quickly, and it's taking off at such a rate that at some point, possibly within maybe the next couple of decades, uh, our technology is really going to go through a, an incredible change, something that is difficult for us at present to even conceptualize. That, again, represents that technological singularity. And if indeed we utilize technologies that become so advanced, I would argue, Richard, that much of what we would consider you know, synthetic or cyborg or something like that, we may master technology to a level that it will appear or even be you know, so similar to what we would call organic that you wouldn't be able to differentiate between the two. So if we utilize technologies that are that advanced to supplement ourselves, to enhance our natural levels of intelligence, will we look like cyborgs walking around? No, we'll look like humans, but we will have attained technologies that allow us to change ourselves and perhaps effectively take evolution into our own hands. And I'll tell you this, I'm not sure that I myself am entirely comfortable with that. I don't think many people are, but I think it's also something you know, something we'll have to prepare for because it looks like it's really laying there on the horizon. Uh, I, I, I spoke with a, a gentleman a number of years ago at another radio station uh, from China where he's working on an artificial brain. His first name is Hugo or his last name is Hugo, and I can't remember. Maybe the, the name will pop uh, to my mind. But he's talking ab- uh, about this uh, transhumanist movement and also artificial intelligence. And he foresees a very scary scenario. Uh, where you will have, at one point, a certain segment of the population who are poised to uh, essentially merge their human body and their human consciousness uh, with artificial intelligence. Uh, and then you will have this other segment of the population uh, who will be so terrified of that prospect that you would essentially have 
two separate civilizations here on planet Earth that that what would ensue would be one of the most unimaginably horrific world wars that we've ever seen. I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, the, the planet being destroyed, essentially, the possibility of the planet being destroyed because, um, you know, of this fear. I, I want to get your your take on that when we come back, and then we'll continue to delve into uh, the UFO singularity. Micah Hanks with us here on The Conspiracy Show. We'll make the phone lines available to you as well. And uh, you can weigh in with your thoughts. Back with more. Stay with us. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. It was uh, Hugo de Garris, uh, I believe, was the gentleman I spoke to a number of years ago, a researcher in uh, artificial intelligence, also known as evolvable hardware. And uh, at the time, I believe, he was working on an artificial brain uh, in in China. Uh, But he, again, stated that there would be a major war between the supporters and opponents of intelligent machines, and there would be billions of deaths. Um, he said this is almost inevitable before the end of the 21st century, and he suggests that uh, artificial intelligences may simply eliminate the rest of us, uh, and we'd be we'd be powerless to stop them. But you you do talk about uh, uh, artificial intelligence in the UFO singularity, Micah Hanks, and I'm just wondering what that might have to do with UFOs or how it might help us sort of learn about UFOs. Well, there are a few reasons, uh, Richard, that, uh, that that those two subjects, UFOs and artificial intelligence, may come into play with one another. Uh, one is that, uh, as you'd outlined during the last segment, uh, explaining Hugo's theory there, uh, what if we had a portion of the population that was enhancing themselves technologically, whereas maybe there was another portion that either for economic reasons, maybe there was a disparity and they didn't have access to this information or this uh, technology, they couldn't afford it, or maybe it was being kept away by a portion of the elitist, you know, uh, population, uh, you know, some as- aspect or element of government or something like that. Uh, there could be any number of scenarios that would play out in the mind that would allow uh, one to, you know, surmise why there could be one group that has this technology and one that doesn't, and then some sort of a conflict erupting between the two. This is very similar to a theory that's been put forth by a colleague of mine, Rich Dolan, who's a UFO historian and researcher, and he calls it the breakaway civilization. And so if we wanted to speculate for a moment that there could be an aspect of humanity that literally could utilize technological developments that are kept suppressed from the mainstream and what most of us know to exist, and they utilize that to their own benefit and become what you know he calls essentially a breakaway civilization. That could be one aspect of the UFO mystery just as well, and this would entail utilizing advanced intelligences, technologies, perhaps artificial intelligences, uh, for utilization of uh, you know this kind of uh, technology that, for whatever reason, would uh, you know, come under the uh, the mastery of one group of individuals and and not to the rest. So, although that sounds very much like something that could occur in science fiction, that is always a possibility. But coming back to that notion of sci-fi and the way that you know films often portray this sort of thing, uh, with all reverence, uh, you know, reverence to someone like Hugo, who uh, you know I think uh, you know probably is very qualified to speak about this sort of a thing. I, I have to say that again, I see that Hollywood so. Uh, easily influences people's uh, perceptions of how artificial intelligence will come about and then again what will occur in a world where we 
as humans live alongside intelligence that may be greater than ours. Uh, I would argue that, uh, you know, quite the contrary, uh, there seems to be a trend between people who gain intelligence and then, of course, the, uh, the, the morals and the code of conduct that comes with the attainment of great power. While, obviously, in history, we have seen that people who attain great power often misuse it. As we get older, uh, as a civilization, as we, you know, grow so many years, you know, hence past, you know, the Second World War, and, and we attain greater technologies, you know, that for purposes of uh, destruction could level the, you know, if not a country, a planet perhaps, uh, we, we have refrained from using those. We made it through the Cold War without, you know, launching a, a mutually assured self-destruction style attack as so many feared would occur. Maybe we are advancing, and maybe with intelligence we learn better how to cope with and utilize that, that technology, and maybe artificial intelligence that exceeded our own levels We'll do the same, and hopefully we could say that uh, that there would be a more positive outcome. Now, again, maybe I'm just being an optimist, but I do think that there are two sides to every equation, and that often Hollywood, with films like Terminator and some of these, you know, it can kind of give us an impression of what may be that is not entirely accurate in terms of what may actually be. Uh, Rich Dolan is a frequent guest on, on the program, and, and uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by his theory on these breakaway civilizations. I, I give that a lot of credence. You know, I think that might explain a great deal of the callousness that some of these uh, elite power brokers have for the rest of us, because they have no they have no dog uh, in the hunt anymore. They've got no skin in this game because I don't know they're living in some subterranean uh, a cavern or or. Uh, again, going back to, to statements like uh, um, uh, Ben Rich and and and, and others uh, that that have been interviewed by Paula Harris and so forth, they already have these deep space platforms. They don't give they don't give a tinker's behind what happens here to the rest of us on planet Earth because they're already off world. Uh, anyway, let me uh, let me grab a call here. Andrew has been very patient waiting in Palmerston, Ontario. Andrew, welcome to the Conspiracy well, thank Show. Thank you very much. Um, I have uh, a comment and then one question after that. And I think in regard to human and uh, alien uh, genetic engineering and having a hybrid, I think what has happened, in my view, is that the aliens have evolved to such an extent having these mental capacities and uh, telepathic communication to, to almost an extreme end. And I think what they've done is neglected their – because of that, they may have neglected some of their – um, uh, physical powers, and I think uh, looking at humans being much stronger than the greys, for example, then they would like to have a hybrid in which they can have some of the human strength in them. Andrew, let me just hold on. Uh, you hold on as well. We'll come back and we'll get your, your question, your follow-up question. That's a great uh, lead-in to this discussion. Back with more of my conversation with Micah Hanks, the author of The UFO Singularity. If you've got a line, hold on to it. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Micah Hanks from uh, the UFO Singularity fame uh, joins us and uh, stays with us for the next 15 minutes or so. Andrew from Palmerston, interesting comment on perhaps the motivation behind the abduction phenomena. It could be some sort of genetic engineering. The greys abducting humans uh, because essentially they want to develop a hybrid, a human-alien hybrid. Andrew, do you have a question as well? Yeah, well, the other question I have is uh, regarding HARP, you know, and they've been sending these strong signals for years and years. What I was interested to learn is what is the result of all these years of using power like that and transmitting these huge amounts of frequencies, 
And what does good come out of it? That's what I'm interested in. Well, maybe Harp is best left for, for another program, although, yeah. I don't know, maybe Micah has a, has a comment on that. But do you want to address maybe first the, the alien abduction uh, motivation first, Micah? Well, you know, uh, when it comes to alien abduction, again, uh, you know, I'm not going to ever say that one thing is occurring and, and something else is not simply because I have a preconception toward or a bias toward belief or disbelief. Now, what I will tell you is that in many instances, uh, and, and of course, you know, much to the dismay of my friends who actually claim to be abductees themselves, you know, scientifically, I have a hard time justifying claims of alien abduction. I do think that there's something clearly going on, but there is a tremendous lack of physical evidence supporting this. And does this mean that there is a very clever technology behind this and that they're capable of, you know, distancing themselves from what we are capable of recognizing as an actual physical presence in our midst? Maybe that is the case. Uh, but I also think sometimes that there are other levels of not only reality but also human perception that come into play when it comes to term, uh, in, in terms of trying to understand with and reconcile with the abduction mythos that has emerged into our culture. I have a lot of questions about it. I could probably author an entire book about you know, really what's happening with abduction. I haven't seen a lot of evidence that really supports the idea that we are in the midst of an ongoing, elaborate genetic hybridization, um, you know, program as enacted by these alien greys or something along those lines. And that could be, who knows? But again, I haven't seen scientific evidence for that. And it may be that in the coming years, part of this technological growth that I'm talking about in the UFO singularity will allow us to utilize new kinds of technologies, and that may become apparent. It may be that that's exactly what's happening, and we will come to terms with that, or perhaps we'll rise against it and fight it off. Who knows, you know, if it's something that we consider to be a bad thing. Um, but, you know, I do think that uh, there's obviously some sort of a non-human intelligence component that fits in here. I just couldn't tell you if it's something that's tampering with our genetics. Uh, let's talk about some of the current scientific trends that you say are leading us to advanced technology that we have observed in various UFO reports. Sure. Well, you know, I think that a lot of the time when we talk about UFO reports, uh, as we, of course, do with the UFO singularity, we're talking about advanced aviation, you know, or aeronautics that would allow, you know, an aircraft to travel several hundreds of thousands of, you know, light years from one planet to another and, of course, several thousand miles an hour right here in Earth's atmosphere. There are already uh, aircraft that have been observed at least since, you know, the uh, late 1940s, early 1950s that appear to allow... Uh, whoever the occupants of these craft are, to do this. If they were physical beings, the speed at which many of these uh, UFO craft are purported to travel uh, should not be very kind to uh, physical occupants unless they're utilizing an advanced variety of, of physics uh, You know, to not only perhaps allow the movement of that craft, but also to preserve the occupants therein. Now, there are ways of getting around that. One could be that these craft aren't actually uh, controlled uh, by a physical occupant at all. They could be remote controlled. Uh, as Rich Dolan has uh, put forth, there could be a variety of machine intelligence with him. And furthermore, if we were to speculate that there was some sort of an advanced biological entity that had supplanted the physicality or the biology of themselves with aspects of, or, you know, whether it be a, cyber, a cybernetic or a cyborg kind of a, kind of a, you know, a, a, you know, recreation of themselves, uh, Something literally almost along the lines of the Transformer films that we see where we have these, you know, almost entirely robotic beings. You know, or if it's something that is, uh, you know, something even further beyond that, you know, I could even, you know, say that it's something that may be beyond what we could really speculate about right now with our known levels of intelligence. There could be any number of ways that we, uh, an advanced intelligence might get around the problems associated with UFO craft. Now, in the UFO singularity, something I try and look at is the utilization of, again, greater than average levels of, you know, attainable human intelligence 
today, natural levels of human intelligence and how a far more advanced uh, being might literally begin to perceive reality differently. This is where, Richard, uh, in, in terms of the way that I look at, rather than calling it time travel, non-temporal phenomenon comes into the question. I, I've argued that if a you know, highly advanced, perhaps you know, even cybernetically modified or enhanced, uh, brain becomes far more efficient than natural brain function in humans today. This kind of an entity, this kind of an intelligence, might be capable of perceiving beyond the, the known limits of space and time that we know. And again, at that point, if humanity attains that kind of intelligence and that technology, what will we know about our universe? Will we be able to perceive aliens? Will we be able to see into the future as well as the past? Functional telepathy, these kinds of things. There are a lot of questions that, uh, again, I do think work into the UFO equation as well. All right, let's say hello to Keith in Rochester. Good evening, Keith. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yes, I approach these topics from a point of morality. Abductions were mentioned, and that's underhanded behavior. Until these creatures are willing to come to us man-to-man as stand-up guys, which would mean basically landing on the White House lawn, I don't care how advanced they are, I just shrug them off. As, uh, if they don't come to us, uh, again, stand-up, they probably really don't have anything to offer to us. I always refer people to the very famous 1951 movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still. We need that Michael Rennie character to come to us and to reach out to us. And if they aren't willing to shake hands with us, I'm asking the guest, uh, really, what good are they? What is their true worth? Excellent point, Keith. Micah, your thoughts? Yeah, Keith, uh, I have to agree with you. If, if there is indeed a physical and perhaps an extraterrestrial presence underlying the UFO enigma, what's so troubling about it is the subversive element there. The fact that there is, uh, there, there isn't this willingness to come out, shake hands, uh, you know, make contact. It, with this popular ancient aliens meme that we see appended to the popular television program of the same name, you know, we have this notion that extraterrestrial intelligence is did just that in ancient times, that they came down to Earth and that they interacted with humankind and that they literally granted us some sort of advanced technology that helped or maybe even directly you know, manipulated and modified us to make us what we are today. Uh, you know, Many would argue that that undermines natural human ingenuity. However you want to look at it, uh, why would they do this in the ancient past and perhaps not do it today? Or if they did it in the ancient past, was it just as subversive as it appears to be today? Either way, that secrecy is very unsettling, and if, I'll say if there's anything to the abduction claims, uh, then that's a part of it that is really troubling to me. Why, why do you remain in the shadows? Why don't you come out and let us know what you're doing? And are we not allowed to be willing participants? Are we made to be essentially cattle? Who knows? Uh, Keith in Rochester, thank you for the call as always. Well, there, uh, there are those who, who theorize uh, that... The abduction phenomena, uh, whether you want to include crop circles uh, and animal mutilations uh, in that whole sort of grab bag, uh, that that's all, even the sort of the, the, um, the view, the, 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 the common view of what UFOs are, you know, little green men traveling from distant, gal- distant galaxies, galaxies, this has all been uh, created as a cover story uh, in order to distract us from what's really going on, and what's really going on may in fact have more to do with, as you say, uh, advanced human technological, uh, uh, human technologies, uh, which may include, uh, uh, you know, visits from our future. Uh, in other words, the UFO myth um, has been created uh, in order to distract from something that's even more unimaginable. 
You know, that's unsettling, too. And I often think about that, that we hear about, you know, some of the conspiracy types like Bill Cooper and, and many others over the past, you know, several decades who have come forth and said, you know, there's a lot less going on here that has to do with actual extraterrestrials and more with the creation, the intentional creation of a meme in our culture and in our societies that is geared toward leading people, or rather, more appropriately, misleading people into believing one thing so that something else entirely can be going on behind the scenes. But here's what we're left with, Richard. We're left with the, the absolutely, uh, pardon the term, but unalienable truth, I guess. <laughs> Nicely put Maybe not as best used, but certainly sounded good for the circumstances. You can't you can't remove the, the fact that we are dealing with some variety of what appears to be an intelligently controlled uh, technology in our midst, or perhaps several varieties of different phenomenon that at times appear to be intelligently controlled, at times maybe do not appear to be any kind of mechanized framework or any kind of a machine, but they are nonetheless representative of some kind of intelligence or consciousness. And so, uh, you know, whether it be a space-time anomaly, a physics aberration, you know, a non-human, non-physical intelligence that communicates through some sort of a brain state or altered state, you know, there are different levels of ways that different kinds of, you know, anomalous activities could occur, but with UFOs, we clearly see some technological presence whose are they they have to belong to someone so again do you pin any hopes on let's say 2112 as being the year that this will all sort of make sense and this will be sort of disclosure day for lack of a better term you know, I don't really. Uh, I think, uh, you know, again, for, in purposes of framing, uh, you know, the, the sort of the history and the lineage of these sorts of things, uh, again, I, in the book I look at uh, the year 1911 and, uh, you know, Thomas Edison supposing, what will technology in a 100 years be like? And at this pivotal period in our history that many pinned to the year 2012, and, of course, the end of the Mayan calendar, we're beyond that now, and unless we're all a bunch of ghosts, you know, we survived somehow too. Many feel that there was a transformation, maybe there was a change, some would even argue it was an imperceptible kind of change and that we're still undergoing that change right now. It's already, you know, that the beginning has taken place and we're in the midst of it now. Whatever the case may be, I say, what, you know, what, what about the future? What in a hundred years will we look back on ourselves today and be correct about? Will the future that we predict today be what we think it is? I think it'll be a future full of vast potentials that are so far out and so, well, again, alien to us that we can't even imagine many of those potentials. But in terms of the actual date that I would suppose that we'll begin to see a lot of this, to borrow from the uh, the others of the futurist and the transhumanist ilk, um, what uh, Ray Kurzweil refers to as singularitarians would probably tell you is that around the year 2029 or 2030, we would begin to see the beginning of what's called the knee of the curve, the point at which the beginnings of these technologies will become apparent and we'll begin to see those kinds of trends that will lead to an unimaginable future. And that, of course, will be that uh, post-singularity future where we will be dealing with artificial intelligences, new kinds of aeronautics, and a variety of other kinds of technologies that we couldn't even conceive of today that will fundamentally change who we are and how we view ourselves in the context of our greater reality in the universe as we know it. Micah, uh, tell us about your website, Graylian Report. What can we find there? Well, you'll find everything at the Grayling Report. You know, I deal with everything from politics and history to conspiracies, something your listeners, of course, will enjoy. I'm best known as a ufologist these days, and so there'll be a lot of nuts and bolts reporting and, and dealing with, you know, and trying to understand UFOs. We also talk about cryptozoology from time to time, and that website is www.gr.com. 
Alien. That's GraylianReport.com. You can find me on Twitter, Micah Hanks. Easy enough to find there. There's also a Facebook like page for the Graylian Report. Lots of stuff people can follow and a podcast each week of the same name, Graylian Report. Just check it out online. Of course, you can Google that just as well. And uh, I've also linked up to your website at uh, richardserrett.com. They just go to tonight's show and click on Micah Hanks and it'll take you right to Graylian Report. Micah, real pleasure meeting you. And uh, I'm hoping to get down to the uh, International UFO Congress in uh, Phoenix uh, next month. I know you'll be there. Uh, you'll be speaking about uh, this very topic, I'm guessing. I certainly will. And Richard, yeah, let's grab a cup of coffee if you do, okay? Wonderful. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Micah. Micah Hanks. All right. And you can also say hello to me at Twitter at Richard Serrett. S-Y-R-E-T-T. Richard Serrett. Love to hear from you. And once again, a very special hello to our new affiliate in Springfield, Missouri, KWTO. 